Are you ready? I don't know. That was pretty weak. Are you ready? Hey, that's there you are. All right. This, the scripture that we anchored on last week was from Romans eleven twenty nine that says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That he doesn't withdraw what he's given. He, dev- he doesn't take it back. Um, and he never changes his mind. And so with that in mind, I just want to remind you, there's nothing you can do to convince God to give up on you. Um, and I want to encourage you with this. Everyone struggles with their call. Right? Like, one, th- one kind of interesting note about a call is that when you get it, it's going to feel bigger than you. And you're going to go, yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> and like I said, because if you could do it, then you wouldn't need God for it. And I, I kind of wrote down a few notable uh, people in the Bible that struggle with their calls, and I thought I'd share a few of those with you. Um, if you remember Moses... Uh, Charlton Heston himself um, (laughs) protested, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Sarah laughed. They'll never believe me. I'm past childbearing years now. Gideon, a future military leader, judge, and prophet argued, please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. How many can identify with Gideon? Isaiah the prophet who prophesied 19 messianic prophecies, complained of unclean lips. Are you really, really sure, said Pastor Mark to the Lord when he called him to be a pastor four and a half years ago. Man, how'd that sneak in there? Um, That's what I said. How could this be since I have no husband, asked Mary, after Gabriel announced that she would conceive the Messiah. In the garden, he prayed a poignant, anguished plea. Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me. Is it comforting to know that even Jesus struggled with his call? In our story, we have the Shunammite woman who her her initial response was, no man of God, I can't. I can't go there, right? But we know, we saw in the story between verses 16 and 17, something happened in her. And she went from no to accepting her call to be a mom and a year later having a baby, right? Um, Remember this this scripture, uh, don't be anxious, don't worry. Don't look at the call, don't look at the thing in front of you and think that you you can't do it. with the Lord, you can do anything. And this scripture, I, I just wanted to bring out to you from 1 Thessalonians 5.24, it says, faithful and absolutely trustworthy is he who is calling you, and he will do it. He will fulfill his call by making you holy, guarding you, watching over you, and protecting you as his own. Amen. So today, we're going to quit worrying about the how. All right? So whatever it is, I want you to take what that thing is, even if you're not really quite certain what it is and that, that's creating some anxiety, we're going to set that aside and we're going to focus on what now, okay? So the title of my message today, remember last week was Call Waiting. This week is Call Accepted. Call Accepted. Bow with me. Father, today we lay down every distraction or care of life. We focus our attention on you 
for we know in you we'll always know what to do. So we trust you. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts and change our lives. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. All right. So answering the call is just the beginning. We talk a lot, you know, it's good to answer the call. And last week we had many of you, I think 25 to 35 was the best number, nobody officially counted, that came down for prayer. And there were many more of you that, that didn't come down or that were online that we received emails from and I got text messages and calls from all week this week. Um, it was such a cool picture of knowing that you just, that God's word hit the mark. And so I wanted to kind of looking, looking at this from the perspective of what do you do with the call? So like last week, we, we, ex, we kind of, we, we, we heard the call, um, we answered the call, but now what do we do with it? From call accepted to walking it out in action, okay? So sometimes I think there's some misunderstanding uh, about what a call may be, so I want to kind of clarify that a little bit. Sometimes we think of calls and we think of being a pastor or a prophet or a teacher or a preacher, or missionary, you know, whatever, fivefold ministry. But that's a very small fraction of humanity. Can we agree? Um, and everyone in the kingdom is equal. Like, there isn't a hierarchy in the kingdom. We're all on the same plane. And God calls us to wherever we are. Um, and so with that, the, uh, the thing that I really want you to kind of see in this is that we're going to cover together. I'm going to share five secrets of revealing and walking out your calling. Five secrets. Why secrets, Pastor Mark? Why secrets? Because they're more interesting than points. Aren't they? Like, and there's some mystery there with them. If you're at Unite this year, you kind of know the inside joke to that. But um, Romans 8.30. When you talk about a call, it's, it's very seldom like my brother experienced, for instance. He was called to be a pastor. There was a night that he heard it. And it was like, that's it. And he started getting, God showed him pictures of this church in his mind, in his heart. It didn't happen that way for me. Um, to my, to, in my recollection, thinking back, I've never had personally a vision like that. How many are in that boat with me? Like, a lot of you have, and that's great. I pray for them. They just never show up. I don't know if I'm just not spiritual enough or what, but... Um, but for me, my calling looked a lot different. I think it's probably more like most of us, that it's just, it's just a series of taken steps. Like it's not any one big assignment that we see clearly in front of us on the TV screen of our life. It's just faith, and it's taken a step at a time. And so secret number one to accepting the call, I'm calling identify the call. And I also kind of had the subtitle for this point, as identify your next step. Because our calls are really just a series of steps, aren't they? So for instance, when pastor got the vision that he was gonna be a pastor, the next day, was he in a church pastoring? Um, and and kind of think of it this way, you know, I kind of had this picture as I was preparing. Let's say that, that you are a pastor and God gives you this vision of a stadium full of thousands of people and all these people coming to the altar. 
Or maybe your, uh, your aspirations are to be a future bank vice president or, or businessman and be a financier of the kingdom. Um, and those are both very legitimate calls that are equal in the sight of God. But what doesn't happen is, like in the case of the pastor, the day after that call, standing in front of a stadium full of people. And the same thing for the future bank executive. He doesn't wake up the next morning all of a sudden with all of these finances and resources, right? What's the, what's the journey in between? For the pastor, it's probably learning how to pastor one person. It's being a mentor to somebody. It's leading a life group, right? To the future bank executive, it's probably making sure your own personal finances are in order first. Because God's the, the gospel is a stewardship gospel. And then maybe leading a financial peace life group. And then maybe, you know, it's a series of steps, right? So I had this picture. I thought of this story from um, several years ago in our church. But there was a gentleman who came through a leadership class one time. And at the end of that, we asked all the people who participated in that leadership class to just pick an area to serve in within the church. And we had some areas that were kind of open uh, to serve in. I'll never forget this, because um, it's an example of what not to do, <laughs> OK? Um, sometimes we learn best from other people's mistakes, right? Uh, that's a far less painful path. But in this case, uh, he was asked to help serve in uh, Pathway Kids check-in, I think, or something like that. And I remember his response was, well, that's not really what I do. I'm more like platform ministry is kind of my thing. And my thought was, you know, sometimes God calls you to vacuum the platform before he puts you on it to preach or to sing, you know? I mean, I didn't say that to him, but I, I thought it. <laughs> and he didn't stick around long. I, I don't know what happened. But um, he, lost, he lost his calling or it went somewhere else. I don't know. Um, but the point is, we, we have to take steps of obedience. And God wants to see if he can trust us with little before he can trust us with much. If we're not willing to humble ourselves and do the little things, then we'll never be able to handle the weight of the bigger things. Amen? So um, we can't just expect God. And this is, this is a burden of mine that I, I saw growing up so much. Uh, some amazing people. I'm not talk These are not bad people. But they're people that largely were content to sit in a pew and just wait for the great by and by. Guys, the whole, this gospel is not about heaven. That is the reward for what we do here. And so much of our fixation sometimes gets stuck thinking that, well, I just, if I can just make it to heaven. We look at all the stuff that we've been through this year, and it's been a tough one. And we think, you know, we start singing those old songs like, I'll fly away, oh glory. You know, I'll fly away. <laughs> How many know that song? Okay, you were raised in my church, probably. <laughs> um, or when the roll is called up yonder. Anybody? Okay. Oh, shabobo. Um, we see those, we think about those pictures and we get stuck with this kind of out of context view of what this means. Like, what does this life really mean? What are we supposed to do here? We have an assignment, we have a call, we have a purpose, right? Um, let's just admit can I be honest with you? Don't you like pastor questions like that? Well, of course, pastor, we'd like you to be honest with us. Um, we, not pathway, but we as a people, as an American people especially, we're soft. 
right? Can we all agree on that? We are very soft. And I'm talking about me too. I'm not, not pointing fingers. Um, you think about the world stage, and you think about um, you know, missionaries that we have contact with that are being persecuted in a very real way. Um, one in particular that's been drugged into court two or three times over the last couple of weeks from some very corrupt political figures trying to discourage them, trying to get them off mission, um, persecuted because of their Christian faith. People that have gone into, um, in one case, a, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's slavery, but the, the, the people in this part of the, the world, and I can't go into all the details, it's kind of an incognito thing, but um, they are literally slaves. The Christians are slaves. And part of this uh, organization's goal is to go in and to buy these families out of slavery and give them a trade and help set them up in a way that they'll never go back into that, that lifestyle again. But putting themselves, like a couple of weeks ago, in rooms with people who are angry at them with AK-47s, and they're going in there to buy a family out of slavery. My point is we are soft. <laughs> We're soft. And that's not a condemning statement. Don't hear shame or guilt or condemnation from me. That today is a call to action. We gotta do something, okay? And just like kind of in that, in that lens last week, uh, when, I, when I made the appeal, the altar call, and so many of you came down to be prayed over by our prayer team, um, there was one in particular that stood out to me. And this person is not soft. And I thought it, was, it hit me and touched me in a way. I asked her for permission this week to share a little bit from her story. But at last week, I think it was the 11 o'clock service, as I invited those to come down, there were so many already here, and when I finished speaking, I came down, I stood down here, and she came down that aisle. And many of our Pathway family would know her, and her name's Katie Zepazoti. And I saw Katie walking down this aisle with tears streaming down her face to walk up here and to reaffirm to God that she wanted to accept her call. And if you don't know Katie's story, on January 1st of this year, she lost her husband unexpectedly. Right after New Year's, within 10 minutes of New Year's. And I've, I've spent a couple of hours with her at the office, I've talked to her on the phone, and I've watched her life. And many of you know her well. I've watched her life. Does she struggle? Yep. Is she at times a ball bag or a mess? She would tell you that herself. But here's what I keep seeing Katie do. Walk down the aisle and answer the call and say, God, however you want to use me, do it. And when I was talking to her about sharing this today, she said, if anybody can get anything out of my story or be encouraged, you have my full permission. That's what it's all about, guys. We're not all guaranteed a smooth ride down here. We don't all get the deal. Like, that's what drives me nuts about this prosperity gospel and all that garbage is like, nobody gets the same deal. Like, we don't all get the same, well, we're gonna have a nice house and nice cars and have all these things and we're gonna have good jobs. And nobody gets that deal. I looked, it's not in here. Jesus said, I've told you all this that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus said, have peace where? In him. On earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Now, we, we pray 
and we believe and we trust God, we put our faith in God. But guys, I'm just telling you, from a lot of experience growing up in a pastor's home and being one now for the last four and a half years, uh, and I've struggled with this too, so I'm putting myself right in the boat with you. We are soft. We hit a hard patch and we go, oh my God, you know, I lost my job. I guess God's abandoned me. No, he didn't. Maybe he's trying to grow you through it. Like, let's, let's callous up a little bit and let's get to work. We got stuff to do. And we can sit around being all discouraged and being, you know, moaning and complaining, because I have this year, <laughs> about the way it's gone and about, God, surely this wasn't the plan, you know? Or we can buck up, buckaroo. We can get on our horse and we can get about the business of what God's called us to do here, right? That's what this whole message is about today. So if I'm offending you or if it's a little hard, you can slip out if you want to. But this is about us as a family of God, a people of God, getting about the Father's business. Let's get out of our, 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 our self-reflection you know, and our, our, our private moments of, of pity. And, and you can have those, right? It's okay to have a bad day. And you know, like, as I talked to Katie, she was being very honest with me about the bad days that she's had. You, you have to grieve. You have to. It's a part of the process. You just don't stay there. You can't live there. Amen? Um, why is our calling so vitally important? Because this time on earth is like that. And we're gone. James 4 calls it a vapor or a mist. It is here one moment and gone the next. And I just want to kind of put this picture in front of you because this was something, and this is, I want to share a little bit of my personal testimony with you this morning that's kind of from a vulnerable place. So I'll, I'll cue you up for that um, because we all got to make the decision, right? Um, but one of the things that I want you to, to, to recognize with me is that there is going to be a day that all of us will stand in front of Jesus by ourselves. There won't be any husband or wife with us. There won't be any kids with us. There won't be any mom or dad with us. We will all one day stand in front of him by ourselves. And I want to be able to say, and this was a declaration I had in my prayer journal from two years ago. Jesus, I just want to be able to say that day when I see you that I did the very best I could with what you gave me. Was it a mess? Yep. A hot one. <laughs> Did it, was it perfect? No way. But there was a moment, a Kairos moment, where I put my foot in the ground and I said, today is the day. I'm going to do anything you ask me to do. I don't care if I make another dime on planet Earth. It doesn't matter because it doesn't matter what my career resume looks like. It doesn't matter what I think or what I want in this life. The only thing that matters and the only thing I want to matter to all of you, church, is with the fixation of that day, you being able to stand in front of Jesus Christ, the one who paid it all. We just got through singing about him. He gave his blood for us. He sacrificed for us. He made the decision in the Garden of Gethsemane. God, if, if there's any way this can pass, please let me know. And there wasn't. And he went all the way to the cross for us. That Jesus, we're going to stand in front of him one day, and we're going to hear one of two things. And the thing we want to hear is, well done, Mark, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Amen. Do you guys want to hear that? I know you do or you wouldn't be here. 
okay? You don't sign up for this, you know? Um, but recognize, guys, our, our calling, our purpose on this earth, all of this is not about us. We live in a me-first world. It tries its best to turn you inside all the time. What do you want? Well, what's your truth? What's best for you? I'm just taking care of number one. That's anti-gospel. That is anti-Christ. It's anti-Christ. So if all the things that you're doing, and this is the time today that, and I'm telling you, I've done this. I wouldn't ask you to do something I haven't done. Take a self-inventory. Look at your life and go, where am I at? Right? Where are my focuses? What's important to me? If you're having trouble figuring out what that looks like, look at your bank account. It'll tell you where your priorities are. If there's nothing going into the kingdom, that's an indication. And this isn't a plug for money. I'm just saying you can look at your life pretty clearly. And do this. This is something I did actually two years ago when God gave me this revelation for me. This is what I did. For about two or three weeks, I did a journal. I journaled every minute of every day. And I took a look at what, where are you spending your time, Mark? And it wasn't real pretty at first because there was several hours of football, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's football season. Anybody with me? Anybody struggle with that one? Okay. I'm not by myself. All right. It's easier this year because they're giving us excuses not to watch, but that's a whole other message. <laughs> but, um, but let's just, I took an honest inventory. Time is more precious than money. And that was the burden I had the day that God dropped that mark. Mark, why don't you just journal where your priorities are? And so I spent two weeks doing it. And God, I, I, I mean, from the moment I woke up to the moment I, my head hit the pillow at night, I journaled. And I took a look at how many, I, I called it God time. How much God time is there in any given day? And that includes worship, prayer, etc. And I, I took a look at that. And as I went through that two weeks, guess what happened? I started shaving off the stuff that wasn't producing any fruit in my life. And guess what happened? When I gave God more room, he started filling it. And that leads me to secret number two. <laughs> These will go faster. But uh, secret number two, live selflessly, not selfishly. Selflessly. Um, I'm not going to read the passage for the sake of time because you all heard it last week, but in the story of the Shunammite woman, and I, I kind of alluded to this in my recap, what I want you to grab from her story is that what made the, the moment, what gave her that Kairos, Kairos moment in her life to receive her miracle, to receive her calling, what was it? It was her generosity. It was her hospitality. It was her selflessness, right? Because you see in the story, it, let's say going back, she'd been through all this disappointment. Let's say that it had hardened her and she had gotten bitter and she had pointed to, God, you never gave me a son. So I'm not going to serve you. I'm going to go do my own thing. Do you think there's a chance in the world that she'd have ever noticed that man of God or gave him something to eat? She would have missed the miracle. She would have missed her calling because she would have been inwardly focused and wrapped up in her own bitterness and disappointment. Don't do it, guys. 
Don't give in to it. I don't care what you've been through. And we have a church family that's been through some crap this year, okay? Can we just be honest? I know your stories, most of them, and they stink. Like, I don't like them. I got mad for you. <laughs> but don't let it in there. Don't sit in. It's okay to grieve and be sad and do all those things, but don't stay there. We got to get up. We got to get off the mat. We got to get about the Father's business. This thing isn't about us. Amen. You guys hearing me this morning? All right. I think you are. Um, but her generosity, that one little moment where she said, hey, you need something to eat? Well, yeah, I do. And then as time goes on, you see, just in that little sliver of scripture, it goes from offering a little bit to eat to all of a sudden, hey, why don't you come back anytime you want to? To I'm going to make a place for you. And... Matthew 20, verse 26 to 28, it says, this is Jesus. And this is, I'm talking about outward focus, living selflessly. He set the example, right? Can we all agree? Jesus is our example. This is what he said, written in red. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. One more time. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, did not come to be served. He came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We will never look more like Jesus than when we serve him. We serve his people. We'll never more look like the enemy than when we serve ourselves. Right? Ouch. I've been there. Like, I can... Speak from experience. I've been inwardly focused. I've been prideful. And it's, it's not good. It takes us away from the cross. We need to go to the cross. This woman's selflessness and generosity opened the door to her calling. Secret number three. Make room. This one's my shortest point. Um, verse 8, she persuaded him to eat a meal. Afterward, whenever he passed by, he stopped there for one. And so that was where literally just making a little bit of room in her life for someone else started the snowball. It started the miracle process. It started the, the, the step into her calling. Just that little, that little seemingly insignificant thing, right? Um, I see Miss Lori sitting here on the front. She's been a family friend of ours for a long time, but you'll never meet anyone, I don't know, I don't think, that has the greater gift of, I know, she's normally in the back. She doesn't like, but she has such a great gift of hospitality. We saw it yesterday with Arian and Isaac's wedding. If you're a Pathway person, you know Arian's on the worship team and Isaac serves. But hospitality and generosity open up the hand of God. They open up a place in time. And that's what we saw in this story. Secret number four. So we're talking, we've identified the call or the step. Find the step. We've lived selfless, selflessly. It's a tongue twister. Selflessly, not selfishly. We've made a little bit of room. The secret number four, make a room. I'm going to spend a couple of minutes here. But... I looked up, I'm not a Greek theologian, I told you last week, but I did look up some Greek in this because I thought this passage, when you look at verse 10, 
it says, let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. And th I thought, those are significant. Let's take a look at what those mean. So I want you to apply this to your heart, okay? We're talking about this story, Elisha and the Shunammite woman, but I want you to see this in the room of your heart. Um, when I looked up bed in the Greek, you know what it means? Bed. <laughs> or couch. Um, but it kind of symbolizes a place of rest. I think the most significant thing I want you to get from this for our purposes today is that I think this, in this story especially, what the Shunammite woman was saying by putting a bed in there is, I want you to stay here. I want you to be comfortable here. I want you to reside here. And that's what I think God's asking us in our heart today. We need to make a bed here. There you go. We want him to stay. Not, not just visit like the beginning of the story. Yeah. And you gotta start someplace. Yeah. So a visit is good, but, but that can't be the end. It's the visit that leads to the recognition that I, I need more time with this guy. He's a, he's a holy man in the story. God is our holy father. Yeah. I want more. Let's make a bed for him in our heart. Amen. The second component or piece in the room was a table. And it means table in the Greek. But in th this type of table would have been often used for a king's meal or for sacred uses. And it speaks to a place of fellowship and a place of doing the ministry. In this room, it would have been the place where he broke bread. It would have been the place where he fellowshiped, maybe with the Shunammite woman or her husband. We don't know that. We don't see that in scripture. But his servant, Gehazi, this is a place of fellowship. Um, but the context for this word was used in the realm of um, nobility, a king's meal, often for sacred uses. We got to choose daily to break bread with him, right? Um, to build relationship with him across from that table, to know him. The chair was really cool because the chair, the way it was used here in the Greek, means a seat of honor. It means a throne, typically for a king. And in the seat of our heart, the throne of our heart, we need to make sure that is there at the top, the head of the room, because we want to make a permanent place for Jesus to rule in our heart. Um, we have to give him that place, though. It's got to be a choice we make. You can choose to give him the seat in the corner, right? How many have done that before? Guilty. It's got to be the head of the room. It's got to be the head of the table. It's got to be the seat of honor. Amen? Then we have the lamp. This is so cool. Um, this would have inferred the menorah, um, which is the lampstand that's got the seven branches and the one in the middle. And I could probably teach a series on the menorah. Like I got into it, and it's a deep hole. Like it, <laughs> it is really cool. Um, but the thing I want you to get out of it for today's purposes is that this represented wisdom, but it invites inspection. The cool thing about the menorah is that it would have been lit in the evening and it would have been put out in the morning. So its light would have illuminated the dark hours. And I think for us, the picture that I wanted you to grasp onto today is that the light 
of the word of God, the light of his presence. We need on all the time. We don't want anything in the dark. So we have the light during the day, but the word, and Jesus is the word, right? He's the, he's the word of life. It covers us 24-7. We're always in the light. And its significance uh, also, you see in the menorah, is there would have been oil, pure, fresh olive oil that had been used to, to burn that. And that speaks to the Holy Spirit and its necessity and presence in our lives. Um, again, that could be a whole message series by itself, but you see the importance of those things in the room. And just the upper room in general, um, when you look at the whole uh, kind of picture of it, this is what I want you to grab. Okay, so just press in with me. The upper room in this story would have been a place of honor. It would have been secluded and private, just set aside and designated holy for the man of God. That was pretty normal in their custom, in their time. Something like this would have been given to someone with, with, with a, a, a place in society or significance in the family, etc. Um, and they also, the way they were built, this would have been the coolest room in the house. And so it was a place of kind of this um, privilege, if you will, but also it's, it's notable because it would have been the preferred place in the home. Um, but can, can we draw some parallels with where this fits in our life story for just a second? Because here's what I want you to get. It was dedicated. It was permanent. It was highly visible to all around. When she built that room on the upper, or the room on the upper part of her home, everyone around would have seen it, and they would have asked, what's going on? Well, I built a room for the man of God. Same thing, application for our heart. Um, it would have been very inconvenient. You get the picture? It's going to cost you something. And one of the things I'd never seen in this story until this, this week was that this was costly for this woman. And we see her as a person of influence in this story, but it goes way beyond money. Think about this. She hadn't been able to have a son and had given up on it. And then from the eyes of all around her, all of a sudden, she's pregnant. What do you think people might have said or thought or questioned? It's going to cost you something. It may cost you people around you. It may cost you some of your friends. But it's worth it because we're making room for, in her case, the man of God, in our case, for God. Do you see that? Is that good? Do you receive that? It's going to cost you something. It ain't free. It's just something we have to make a decision. Am I going to invest and sow my life or not? It's really that simple. Am I going to choose to sacrifice to give my life for the one who gave his life for me? Or am I going to just walk in convenience until he comes? You can get to heaven that way, by the way. You can. You can accept Jesus. I mean, it's, it's a slippery slope. You open yourself up to some things if you're not fully engaged in his calling and purpose for you. But you can do it. I just don't want to be able to, you know, one day I don't want to stand in front of him and say, well, I got here. 
And I don't think there'll be regret in heaven. I don't think that. But I've heard people's accounts of heaven and kind of this understanding that, and the Bible's real clear about there are treasures we lay up in heaven and jewels in our crown. There's all this symbolism God uses to show us that our life here matters. I just don't want to be up there. I want to be like, if there's a VIP band that I can get, you know, when I walk in the pearly gates, like I want to go to that part of the table, you know, whatever that looks like. And God can sort that all out up there. I don't, I don't profess to know, but I'm just saying, I don't want to just get to heaven. I want to be able to show the Lord my crown. And it'll be junk compared to what, you know, probably many, many other people will give. But I just want to make sure that mine's as filled out as it can be. Because I want to take that thing and I want to fling it right in front of his feet. Amen? So secret number five is not one that I'll spend a lot of time on because we've talked a lot about it in this church. But I'm just going to give it to you. It's the biggest secret. But it's not really a secret. And it's the key to everything. And that secret is going to be in the point of get in the room. You got to get in your prayer room. There's so many, I'll give you some practical things. There's a series Pastor started uh, or did earlier this year called Hearing God. If you want messages on prayer, I look back, we've taught on prayer a lot, guys. You, if you haven't received a message on prayer or heard one, I don't know how you missed all those weekends, but they're, luckily for you, they're in video and audio form. So you can go back and you can listen to them. But it's intentional. It's, and there's, it's not hard. We make it hard. We make it like we got to learn how to speak King James you know, or something to, to pray. It's just a conversation. Just like in that room, it's sitting across the table. It's telling God what's going on with you. You know, God, here I am. Here's what's going on. I don't know what to do. What do you got? Like, what do you want me to do next? Um, and I'm telling you today what to do next, by the way. It, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you time. Some of the people that I have the closest relationships to in this church that I know are prayer people spend hours a day. I'm not asking you to do that. In some of those cases, they're intercessors, and that's a part of their calling, right? But... What, what I'm saying is you got to start somewhere. And in, in prayer, there's, there's things that you've heard taught from this pulpit. You got to set an appointment with God. You got to quiet your heart. You got to be still before the Lord. You have to worship. That's what I was doing last night here before I ever started walking through my, my notes. Is I just worshiped in this room. I prayed over every chair. I just spent time. It wasn't productive in the sense that I didn't gain, like I didn't give him a list of stuff that I'm going to expect him to deliver on now. Right? I just said, God, whatever you want for today. Whatever you want your people to hear. Right? Um, you got to pray. What's heavy on your heart? What's, what's on there? What's in there? God wants to know. He knows, but he wants you to say it. Yeah, yeah. He wants you to invite him into your story. Yeah. Um, he wants you to read his word every day. His word is a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. Just like in that room, that menorah, it's a lamp and a light. Listen to the Holy Spirit and do what I don't like to do that my wife loves to do a whole lot, which is right. My wife has journals. I don't know how they're not spilling out into all of the main corridors of the house, but she has a lot of them. And I have, I've been working on my journaling. I'm doing better. But God speaks to me sometimes through that. I'll just start writing and all of a sudden it's like, right? 
but you have to take a step. My, my message today is really, it's a rallying of the troops. It's a call to action. We have to do something. We can't stay where we are. If you, if you recognize, and if you're willing to admit that you have a calling, because you all do, then you have a next step to take. And we have to get about it. We have to take it. Um, I'm going to share with you, as I close, and Christian, you can go ahead and come forward. As I close, one of the things God told me um, at the outset of this message was last week, he asked me to tell the Shunammite woman's story. And this week, he said, tell a little, tell a little bit of your story, Mark. And so I'm going to end with this today. Two years ago, and you've heard me mention this probably a couple times from the pulpit about this two years ago, almost two years ago to the day it will be here in a couple of weeks. Um, I was, I was in a, an uncomfortable place, but I was also in a very comfortable place. So let me explain. Everything around me was kind of coming pretty easy. I'd settled into my role here at the church and I felt like, okay, God, I've been obedient. I'm doing what you asked me to do. I gave up my career. I'm working for the church now. But in that season, I kept feeling more and more stuck. Like, what is going on? This should, I should be happy. I should feel fulfilled. I mean, things are going well. The church is doing well. You guys were all knocking out of the park, being rock stars. You know, we're working on the building stuff and all those things. And uh, the staff was as healthy as it's ever been, growing, thriving. And I found myself kind of miserable. And I started doing some inventory. And I started looking at my life through a little bit of a different lens. And like I just told you a second ago, I started having that conversation with God. First, it was like, God, what, what do you want me to do? What's going on? And slowly, through prayer, I started making a little more time. And there was a moment, and I've shared this, actually, I've shared it over a year ago in one of my messages, but I... And I, and I hesitate to even share it today because I've, I've shared it with some of you. But God said, share that vision again because that's where so many of my people are today. And there's a good friend of mine who's my prayer partner, Mike Mitchell, who we had just started meeting every Wednesday morning to pray at the church office. And you can ask the staff, I'm there every Wednesday morning with him at six o'clock for a couple hours. Um, and we were in worship that next week, and Mike had a vision that he told me about at our prayer time on Wednesday morning. And so this is the part where I'm gonna be kind of transparent and vulnerable with you. The reality, guys, was I wasn't walking in my calling. I had stalled because I was, I was comfortable and everything was kind of getting easy around me. And it was so clear to me I was feeling what ended up being in this vision. And so I want you to kind of, I'm just going to summarize it, but I want you to put yourself kind of in my seat for just a second, because this is what God told me to share with you that's for all of us in this room, okay? Um, in this vision, and this, would have, this was on October the 18th of 2018, Mike said, this is what I saw. He was standing next to me in worship and God opened up this vision. Again, I talked about visions, still never seen one. Mike gets all of them. I don't think it's fair. Um, but this is what he saw. He said, Mark, I saw you moving up a ledge on an upward incline on the top of a very high building. 
a skyscraper. And there were buildings all around you. And there was a sense that as you came up to the edge of this building ledge that you had to turn the corner. But the wind was blowing, hard crosswind. But you knew that you had, you knew you had to turn around the corner, but there wasn't a way to look. There wasn't a way to see what was around it. And you also recognize that once you made the leap around it, there was no going back. That once you make the leap to the other side of that ledge, that if you tried to go back, the wind would blow you off the face of the building. He said, you've been protected by, from the headwind by the adjacent buildings up to this point. And you hesitated for a few minutes trying to calculate, trying to figure it out, trying to, to think about things like, am I the person for this? Can I handle this? Do I have what it takes? Trying to understand, trying to reason. And if you know me, that is me. But that's most of us, right? We overthink. And you realize once you step around this corner, there's no going back. You realize this is about a step of faith and trusting in him that he's put you right here, right now for this time. He's equipped you and he's equipping you. We work in addition. God always works in multiplication. What you've seen in this first part of your life, things that took you a long time that were harder in this new season, the greater the resistance, the greater the result. That's for some of you. The greater the resistance you're feeling, the greater the result will be on the other side because you're strengthened through resistance. The greater the investment, the greater the increase, and there is no increase without investment. It's gonna cost you something. This will require new equipment that you've never utilized fully, prayer, hearing the Holy Spirit, and knowing that you hear the Holy Spirit. There will be no fake it till you make it. Trust that when you step out, God is already there, and that he's got you. And I want you guys, to the best of your ability, to put yourself in that vision. We have to turn the corner. We can't, we can't stay in safety anymore and what's comfortable. And guys, I've had several people, and if you don't know me personally, this may not make any sense to you, but I've had several people lately ask me, Mark, what's up with you? What's going on with you? Just, just me and Jesus, man. That's, that's all I got. But here's what's happened. You can ask my wife and my daughter who's sitting on the front row. I've never spent more time in prayer than I spend right now. I've never sought God out in scripture more than I have right now. The reason why I feel like this is Mark's opinion, take it or leave it. God saw this season of our church coming and he knew I had to be at this point for us to do this part. But guess what? What I saw for all of you, he needs you to be up here too. He needs you to take your steps because God's got, you know, it's, I gave this picture to the staff and it was so clear to me. When we went through sabbatical season, everybody gets nervous when pastor's gone, right? Because he's the head vision officer. And what God showed me was this picture that was very unspiritual from the Super Bowl last year. I mean, you can ask the staff. They, they know what I'm talking about. What God, I told them the first week pastor was out. I said, guys, here's what God showed me for us during this season. 
just like the Kansas City Chiefs last year, Patrick Mahomes got injured and he was out for a few weeks. And the team learned how to win without him while he was on the bench rehabbing. This is us. We have to step up though. We have to find new ways to win. We have to find new ways to run the plays and to get the yardage. And it's gonna look a little different, but it'll stretch us and it'll grow us to the point that when Mahomes gets back in the game, we'll go win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Amen. See how spiritual football can be sometimes? All right, I want you to stand with me. Stand with me. Call accepted. Call accepted. Amen. Do you guys receive this word today? There's a responsibility with it. We got to take action. We may have to serve our way into our calling like the Shunammite woman. And I didn't craft this message to get you to sign up to be on a dream or serve team or, or anything, but it may look like that. It may start there. So maybe it's, I'm, I'm going to ask you today specifically, I'm asking you, yay, imploring you. Don't take this message and leave and go, I'll, I'll hear you on this again, Jesus. Before you leave this room today, I want you to purpose in your heart to take a step. I don't care what the step is. It may have nothing to do with this church. You may purpose in your heart, hey, I'm going to go serve at Jesus Burger, right? Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go invest in being a better father. I'm going to pray eight minutes a day instead of two. Or what, I mean, whatever it is. But I do think there is a tremendous value to following the example of this scripture that we've been reading over the last couple of weeks sets, which is you just got to open up your hands a little bit. You have to do something. Don't leave, you will, you will stand in front of the Lord someday and give an account for all these messages that we've heard over the course of our lives. And my grandpa used to say that to me, and I was like, ah, oh, it feels condemning, pops. You know, like, <laughs> we will. Like, this is, this is a moment that we'll all, I want you all to remember this moment. This is the moment everything changed. This is the moment it would never be the same again. Just like the moment I had two years ago, it was a Kairos moment for Mark Strait. What are you gonna do from here, Mark? And I'll tell you this, I was pretty selfish about a lot of things in my life. I'm not proud of it. As a pastor of a church, but never again. You gotta make that decision too. And it doesn't mean that tomorrow you have to go out and lead a ministry or go out and take on this massive assignment from God. It's gonna start in little steps, but you gotta do something. Maybe it is serving on a serve team. Just start somewhere. Maybe it's committing to read your Bible every day or to pray every day or whatever the case is. But you and Jesus figure that out and let's get to doing it because he needs all of us. If it's never been more clear that we are living in the end times than it is today, I don't know if you're watching the news. But we've got activity in the Israel uh, community related to the Temple Mount and the sacrifices that are being prepared there. They blew the shofar for the first time on the Temple Mount this year. Um, there's uh, the, the peace treaty that the president just brokered a couple weeks ago with the United Emirates is in your Bible. Like, this stuff's happening. It is time. I believe with all my heart, Mark's opinion, that we are living in the last generation. We're going to see Jesus come. 
And we want to be able to stand in front of him one day and go, Jesus, I did the best I could with what you gave me. Amen. Let me pray over you. Let's bow your heads. Father, we commit to take a step forward today. We ask you for your wisdom. We ask you for your help because we can't do it. We can't do it by ourselves. We need you. And you want us to need you. You want to walk with us through it. And so today, Lord, I pray if there's any here that in listening to this message, they were convicted in their heart to recognize that they need a relationship with you before they can walk into your calling and your purpose for them. I just want to make a moment for them. So with all heads bowed, nobody looking around, if that's you today and you recognize you want to get on mission, you want your life to matter, you want to do something with the life God has given you, and you want to make that commitment to Jesus today to serve him, if that's you, if you'll just lift your hand really quickly, I want to pray over you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Several. I want you guys to pray something like this with me. Thank you for your obedience this morning. Jesus, they're having a celebration in heaven right now. Just say something like this. Jesus, forgive me of any sin in my heart, any way that I've disappointed you, Father, I lay it at your feet. I accept your forgiveness. I receive your shed blood for my sin, and I receive you as my Lord, my Savior, and my very best friend from here on. Help me to walk out this life that you've called me to with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite the prayer team to come down. So I'm going to dismiss you, but I just felt like just this week especially, with this message and the message of last week, I want to make a place for you guys to come down and receive prayer. Or if you have prayer, you need prayer for any other reason, if you need healing or if there's something going on in your family or anything at all, I just want to make a place for all of you to come down. There's just there's a value in prayer for each other. Amen? And these folks are, are solid people. They pray for me. So let me pray over you and I'll let you guys go. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're going to show us the action step to take from today, whatever that may be. We just ask for your help to show us the way. And I just pray a special blessing over your people this morning, Father, that you would go with them, that you'd be with them, that your face would shine upon them, that you'd show them your grace and peace in every way in their life as they walk out this journey with you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Hey, Pathway, I love you. Thank you for being the most amazing church on the planet. Uh, be safe this week. Go in grace. If you need prayer, now's the time to do that. Otherwise, we'll see you next week.